Well, good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here, and uh, I am just so extremely honored to be here with you today. Uh, it's been just a little while as I was driving up here um, from Ogden, uh, just how long it's been since I've been to Brigham City, and, and I just absolutely love coming here and being a part of what's going on here. And so excited to be with you specifically today uh, as we are starting in a, a new series uh, called Culture Wars, and we're going to be going through the book of First Peter. Uh, so if you have your Bible, uh, you can open up to First Peter uh, right after James in between Second Peter. He actually wrote two books. And we're going to be looking at First Peter today. Uh, before we get started, I just want to ask a question. Have you ever been uh, in a place or maybe in a situation uh, where you just felt out of place? Right? Maybe that's, that's many of us, right? Maybe it's a new job that we started uh, where everyone really kind of knows what they're doing, what the target is, what the goal is, and we're just trying to figure it out, right? We just feel like everyone's kind of looking at us like, who's this new guy, right? Maybe it's that you moved, uh, maybe you moved into a new community or you're a student and you are going to a new, new school, right? And you just kind of feel like everyone's looking at you. Uh, you just feel out of place. You don't really feel connected, right? As you drive into your cul-de-sac, everyone's just kind of staring at you and giving that weird, creepy wave, right? It's just, you just feel new or you, you feel out of place. Uh, you know, I, I've actually felt like this um, when, I, when I became a Christian, um, I was uh, kind of later in my teenage years. I grew up uh, in a very broken home. Uh, my parents, they loved me, but there was a lot of difficulty in, 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 in our home. And uh, the way that I was raised and the, some of the things that I did um, had a very addicted, uh, kind of addictive-filled past with, with some drugs and um, just very just difficult life growing up. And, and God got a hold of my life so much so one day that I said, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I had a very evil experience. And then I just said, I'm going to do everything I can to live for God. And so believe it or not, I sold everything I had. I was in between 18 and 19 years old, and I went to Bible college. That made sense to me, right? <laughs> like, I'm just going to leave this way of living, and I'm going to now go to Bible college. And I remember uh, when I went to, to I, I came in second semester in Bible college, so I went in the spring, and like people had already made connections and relationships, and so I was a little nervous, but I was really excited. I'm going to go now into this, this new place where I'm going to meet people that love God, uh, the same God who just changed my life, and I'm going to connect with them. And I, I tell you what, I remember the very first day I got up with so much excitement, and I remember literally feeling like I was a complete outcast. I mean, I, I literally felt like an alien. Like everywhere I went, people were staring at me. Like I had this scarlet letter on me. I was not like any of these people. Um, we... We, uh, we had intramural like basketball, and one day we went down there, and uh, I was playing intramural basketball, and um, they do shirts and skins, this thing, if you guys have played basketball, you know what I mean? And I was terrified I had to take off my shirt because I had all of these tattoos all over my body. And literally, people were looking at me like, what in the world? Who is this guy, right? This, this new guy, this outcatter, and I never felt so uncomfortable. I remember calling home and being like, mom, I think I'm in the wrong place. You know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm not like everyone else. And this was so difficult for me. You know, maybe you, uh, like me, grew up in the state of Utah, and we feel this uh, in faith, right? We have this, uh, we live predominantly in a culture that is a different faith than us. We have a different belief or set of belief systems, right? And so if you're a Christ follower, it's a little bit different. And, and we know the pain and some of the, the things that that brings about, right? Where we feel like maybe we just don't fit in. I remember as a young man, not even being invited to some of my best friend's birthday parties, right? Because I wasn't part of the culture. And it's just this feeling of like, I just don't fit in here. 
And you know, I, I think for many of us, we would say that if you're a Christian or you're pursuing Christianity, you might say, yeah, the battle that we have in culture is, you know, religion against religion. But I would say that it's far deeper than that. In fact, what I would say is we live in a, a society or we live in a culture today where secularism is, is far outweighing biblical truth, right? Cultural norms are pressing in to what should be the most important thing, which is God's standard of truth, which is his word of God. And so we are inundated every uh, way, shape, and form from things of this world to, to be something that we're not right, to, uh, you know, to have it all figured out, to have as many likes on Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever social media platform it is, that we have to have money and power and fame, we have to fit in. And so we have this pressure of the world, this culture war, if you will, that says, are you going to stand, or are we going to stand for biblical norms, or are we going to be pulled and sucked away and go with culture norms, you know, isn't it true today that we live in a society where it's, uh, if it feels good, do it, right? Your standard of truth, if you believe in it, then it must be true, right? Do whatever, whatever you want to do that makes you feel good, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. You see, we have this battle going on, and the question is, and it's always been, are we going to live in step with Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of him, or are we going to be pulled away to the cultural norms. Uh, really, uh, the kind of the big idea of the series, if you're going to be with us in the next five weeks, there's uh, five, uh, five kind of ideas that we're going to be tackling. But really, the main idea is this, is that we're going to, when we study the book of First Peter, we're really going to learn strategies. We're going to learn ways to be able to kind of stand against the culture, to really understand that we are temporary residents and that we have the ability to overcome an increasing increasingly secular culture. And so that's what we're going to be studying in the, today and in the, in the coming weeks. Before we jump in, uh, why don't we pray one more time together. Lord Jesus, God, I ask that you would speak to us ever so clearly through your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and it's active and it penetrates our thoughts, our minds, our desires, our sinful actions. And God, it even, it even stands firm against the cultural wars, the cultural norms of today. God, do what you only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so just quick context as you're maybe at 1 Peter, you're going to be digging into 1 Peter. Uh, what, what's happening here is um, <clears throat> it's pretty interesting because cultural wars isn't something that's just happening now. This has actually been going on from the very beginning. Several thousand years, Christ followers have been experiencing a cultural war. In fact, I would say even from the very beginning of time, if we read the Bible, uh, those who believed in God were experiencing cultural wars. And so what, what's happening here is Peter is writing this book to new, not really necessarily new Christians, but Jewish Christians who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they are standing firm against a cultural uprising. So there was this guy, uh, his name was King Nero, he was a tyrant king, and he was uh, basically asking people, or not necessarily asking people, but was forcing people to really kind of do things, to worship him as a god. And so that right away says, hey, if I'm a Christian, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. God says there's only one God, so I shouldn't be doing that. So they're standing up against that. So then that's also affecting their uh, political stance or their, you know, their financial stance. And some of them were even losing their lives for what they believed. 
And so Peter is writing them in the midst of adversity, in the midst of difficulty, and he's saying, listen, as you are um, coming against the Roman culture, the Roman society that says that power and self-worth and conquest are the most important things, he's saying, listen, we are not like that. We are instead followers of Jesus Christ, so stand firm against the cultural norm. And their refusion to do any of those things was causing great persecution. And I would venture out to say, uh, for those of us who are Christ followers in this room, uh, we would believe or we would experience that this is really similar to what we're going through today. Maybe it's not death, but it could be other types of opposition, marginalism, right? People are elevated above us because of this standing or whatever it might be. We experience this same thing in our world today. And so the question that I pose is, will we stand with Christ or will we be sucked away by culture you know, uh, just real quickly, some, some kind of crazy results. If, you, um, if we'll look here, I don't think I have access to this, but we can just go to the next slide. It's basically this idea of what's happened over time with Christian influence. Now, if you take a look at this graph, uh, red is practicing Christian, blue is non-practicing Christian, and some of the orange is non-Christian. But as you can see, for, for much of time, we've been a nation that stands under God, right? We've, we have this baseline of belief system with Christianity. And as you can see, right around the year 2012, there was a major shift. There's just a major shift on the influence of Christianity or God in our culture. And so if you go to the next slide, uh, right here we see that big shift where uh, non-practicing Christians then overtook practicing Christ followers. Uh, this also impacted those who go to church. If we go to the next slide, we see church attendance. For many, for, for many years, at least half of Americans believe in church or have gone to church or, or whatever it might be. And we see, again, about 10 years later after 2009, that's dropped to 29% of people who say church is important or I'm going to go to church. Now, what's really interesting about this on the next slide is right around this time is where we see things like Facebook, right? YouTube. I mean, YouTube is a, an environment where we can pretty much go and find whatever we want to do, or ideals, or you know, cultural mainstream, this is the way that you're supposed to believe, this is accepted. Uh, I, I grew up in the Facebook era, right? We, on Facebook, we're inundated with algorithms of what the world uh, says that we should believe, right? How many likes can you get on a post, right? And, and as we're scrolling through uh, the Facebook, we're just getting inundated with things of the culture, what's accepted, what's, what we should be, who we should be what we should look like, right? All of these things. And then we jump and fast forward to, uh, you can look at the next slide, this thing called the iPhone comes out. Anybody in here, if you're not an Apple user, we'll be praying for you because Apple is the greatest thing on the planet Earth. But this thing called the iPhone comes along, and man, we now have instant access to anything we want, don't we? And it's not just what we believe or what we should believe, but it's also other things that are very, very ungodly. And we have instant access into whatever we want. What's good enough? You know, what am I supposed to define myself with? Or what do I want to find out about life? You know, when I grew up, we didn't have this. I had a pager. That's pretty ridiculous, right? You guys remember pagers? Hey, let's go. Let's find a, a, a you know, a payphone. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, I actually dialed a number, right? You know how that means. But... But like, I, and I grew up with dial-up internet. You must know that, right? Like dial-up internet is like someone was going through an exorcism just to get to the internet. Like, like that noise that it made you. 
good, I'm, I'm old, and so we're all old, and that's okay. Because nowadays, you have instant access, literally at the push of a button, to find whatever you want, whatever feels good, whatever says that I need to be, to be defined by it. And then we have things like now, my kids are using Instagram and Snapchat, where it's all about face filters and, and how many likes or whatever it might be. And you see what's happened is, is over time, the standard of who God says that we are has been so inundated with what culture says that we should be, and it's made a major significant impact. And so what Peter is writing, he's not only writing to a, a people that are standing against the culture, but we're also going to jump into, I don't know what that was, but let's, let's go. I'm ready to go. But, but we see that Peter, is, he's, he's trying to tell the people that as you are faced with a cultural war, stand firm, because if you do, the reward will come. And I believe that God's going to say the same thing to us today. And so as we jump in, let's jump into the first few verses of Peter. You can read along with me. He says this. He says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. And he goes on to list uh, some of these areas that they're living in. And he says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. Friends, let me just tell you this. If you have any question on who God is and how much he loves you, let me just tell you that God knows all things, and he knows everything about you, and he loves you. He says this, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. How many of us need that every single day? <laughs> he loves us enough to give us that so freely. Verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. We've been, become new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. What a reward. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live, if you are a Christ follower, we live with great expectation and we have this priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay, beyond the reach of cultural war. He says this in verse five and six, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. Please listen to this. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. Be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. I'm going to, I'm going to say that again. Be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? Be glad in the midst of trial. That sounds... A little hard to do. So today what we're going to do, uh, I mean, and I think throughout the series we're going to do this, but today I want to look at really five truths, very quickly run through five truths about trials. Because when we stand in the midst of culture, we stand against the ways of this world, we will indefinitely experience trials. In fact, that's really our first point today is that trials are inevitable. Trials are Inevitable. I, I want to take a, a poll in this room today. How many of you have experienced a difficult situation or a trial in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. Everyone should. Yep, all of us? Okay, good. You can put your hands down. How many of you wanted to raise not only one hand, but both hands, <laughs> both legs, fingers, right? Wiggle them all around. We have all been through so many difficulties and trials. Isn't it true that it's just a part of life? And it is so difficult. 
Life is so hard, and it's not just religious trials, but think about this in your life. Because of sin, we will have many trials in life. I'm here to tell you that when God created heaven and earth, he did not make a mistake. The Bible says that he created everything, and everything God does is perfect. And what he did is he gave us the ability to choose. And you know what we did? We choose our way against God's way. And because of sin, then everything's broken. And so that means because of our sinfulness, we are broken. And in our brokenness, we are going to have trials. Anybody in here married, right? We know that it's not all rainbows and butterflies, right? We have trials in marriage. Anybody of you have kids? Oh, can I get an amen? If we have kids, we know that life is going to be trial after trial after trial after trial after trial after trial after trial, right? It's going to be a difficult situation. And how, how many times have we failed? Or I know how I've failed in parenting. What about health, right? Many of us have experienced very serious health trials, financial trials. Many of us have an NFL team that gives us trials and tribulations every Sunday, right? You know, I'm talking about, I'm a Falcons fan. Any Falcons fans in here? Well, I'll be praying for all of you. I'll be praying for all of you because, so you know how that is. But here is the truth. Not just personal trials and tribulations. What we need to understand, if we are Christ followers in this room, we are going to experience opposition and trials because of our faith. And so it's important to understand that not only are we going to experience the, the trouble of a sinful world, but we're also, if we stand for what is true, if we stand for biblical worldview instead of cultural worldview, we are going to experience opposition. And in that opposition, Peter says, we are going to experience great difficulty and great trial. But here's what I, I, I want us to see, because he says this in 1 Peter 6, and it's so, it's so amazing to me. He, he says that when you come against this, be truly glad. What? Be glad? And you don't know what I'm going through. But he says, listen, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for, many, uh, for, for a little while. Now, here's, here's what I think is interesting here. Sometimes the Bible is, is a little bit difficult to try to understand, but then sometimes it's really easy. And here's a really easy thing for us, because Peter doesn't say, hey, this might happen to you. Like, you might experience some difficulty in life, or hey, maybe this person will because of what they've done, or maybe this person will. No, here's what he says. Every single one of us, we must experience trials. There are going to be difficulty in our life. And here's the truth. Life is full of adversity and trials. Amen. We can all agree on that. You know, again, it really begins to, to make us think, you know, all, all of the stuff that we're going through. Imagine what they are going through. Again, this is a tyrant king who is, who is ruling over them. And not only is he ruling over them, but there is a fear for their life. Now, many of us don't experience that kind of trial and tribulation today. You know, there are Christians in this world that are losing their life because of their faith. Thank God we live where we live. But there are people who are standing up for what they believe and they are losing their life because of it. Maybe one day that might happen to us. We never know. But here's what we need to understand. In the midst of that, you know, Peter is saying, please listen, it's worth it. It's worth it. This cultural war that we're going through, stand firm. Believe that greater is he who is in you than is in the world. And so what we need to understand that if you stand firm, God will reward you. He will reward you. He will reward you. And he says this, I promise you, 
there will be difficulty in life. Truth number one, there will be trials. And here's truth number two. Trials will test our faith. Now, how many of you have been in a situation where you're just like, man, God, is there a better way to do this, right? Like this situation that I'm in or this problem that I'm having or what's going on in my marriage or this addiction that I'm battling or whatever, this, this thing that's going on in my life, is there a better way? Like, could you deal with this differently? Like I could list probably a hundred different things that I would do differently in your situation, God, <laughs> Right? We, we do this all of the time. Well, here's, here's what I want us to understand. Trials will test our faith. And what trials do is it pulls us one way or the other. Are we going to depend completely and solely on God, the one who created heaven and earth, the one whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, the one who is saying, listen, I have everything in the palm of my hands. Are we going to be pulled away to culture or pulled away to my way of doing things, Right? What are we going to do? You see, this is what, this is what Peter says. When, when, when our faith and we have trials in life, God is doing something really, really valuable. Listen to what he says in verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith, though your faith, friends, in the midst of difficulty is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Our faith and our dependence on God is valuable. It's valuable. And just as gold is refined and put through the fire to to burn off any imperfections, we will go through the process of refining And God allows things to happen to us to to draw our dependence on him. And you might be saying, well, that's just cruel. You don't know the situation that I'm going through. You don't know the trial that I'm going through. And you're right, I don't. And you might not even know the trials that I'm going through. But you know who does? God. And here's what God says in the midst of our difficulty and trials. He says this in Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything, not some not a few things, everything. That means every situation, that means every difficulty, that means every trial, that means every broken marriage, that means every you know, sin and addiction and shame. God uses all of those things in our life, not to define who we are, but to, to make the mess of our lives our message. And that's what he's saying. And, and he uses those to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen, every time we stand up against the culture, every time we stand up for what's right and we face trials, God's saying, I'm going to use that in you. Now, here's what I don't want us to to think, because this is not who God is. God isn't up there saying, okay, who am I going to get today, right? Let's see. Chris, that's me. Chris, he likes the Atlanta Falcons. Here's how I'm going to get him today, right? It's in the Super Bowl, and they're up 28 to 3. With two minutes and 12 seconds. No, did anybody watch that game? It's probably just me because I'm the only Falcons fan. 28 to 3 with two minutes and 12 seconds left. I'm going to cause them to lose this game. And I'm going to see how he handles it, right? Oh, I didn't handle it very good. And obviously you can see that right now as I'm sharing that with you. But, but that's not who God is, friends. And that's just a, a, funny, a funny thing for all of you who hate football. I'm sorry. But, but here's the truth. God isn't up there saying, okay, how am I going to get them today? 
What am I going to do in their situation? How am I going to make them feel this so that they can depend on me? That is not who God is. But what I will say to you is this, is because we chose to sin and go our own way and we broke God's perfect world, God allowed us to choose and we chose against him, there will be trials because of sin in our life. And so what God does is he says, listen, this thing that's going on, I'm going to use that to draw your dependence upon me, to trust and believe in me so that I can work this in your life. I think of uh, the book of Job. I've been reading Job in my Bible study in a year plan. You guys, many of you know the story of the Old Testament, right? Satan comes on the scene, and, and Job loves God, and he's, he's very successful and influential, and he's got great relationships. He's got finances. Like, he's got it all together. And Satan says, I'm going to go after him. And God says, listen, go ahead, because he loves me, and he believes in me. And what you see for 40 or 50 chapters is you see situation and trial and tribulation over and over and over again. Broken relationship, broken marriage, people leaving him, tell him to curse God. And you know what he does? He stands against the culture and he says, no, I'm going to stand for God. And, and the go story goes on to say that then he is restored. He is then blessed beyond measure. You see, what are we going to do when things happen in our life? Are we going to go the other way or are we going to go God's way? Because God is saying, listen, trust me, press into me, trust that I can use this situation for your good. Would you just love and depend on me? That's what he wants to do in our life. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, yeah, that's way easier said than done, right? You can sit up and say that all, but when it comes into the real life aspect of it, this is very, very difficult. And I would say I agree, 100%, it is difficult. And that really leads us to our next point. The next truth about trials is that trials, they take preparation. We have to be prepared. Anybody in here like to run? I'm asking a lot of questions today. Anybody run a marathon in here? A few of you? Yeah, that's good. We pray for you because that's crazy. <laughs> I'm not a runner, so I'm not going to make fun of you, but I am going to say this about running a marathon. You don't just wake up one day and run a marathon, right? If you did that, you would like... I'd probably die if I did that. I don't know. But you don't just wake up and run a marathon. What you do is you prepare for a marathon. I have a friend. He's on staff. He loves to run. God bless his soul. He loves to run. And, and I asked him the other day, I was like, have you ever run a marathon? He said, yes. And I said, what's it like? And he sent me an emojicon with like a really like the teethy face, like, ooh, like not good. And here's what he said about running a marathon. It takes time, consistency, and a lot of pain. How many of you feel like life is a marathon? <laughs> it's a marathon. Life is a marathon. It's hard enough dealing with the things that I'm struggling with personally in my marriage, with my kids, at, at my job, whatever. But then I'm being inundated with the things of this world that are saying that you have to do this, be this, believe this, say this, act this way. And so I have the weight of everything that's going on. And so that takes preparation. I don't just get up and say, I'm going to defeat the world today. <laughs> Instead, what it says is, I'm going to prepare. And here, here's what we read in 1 Peter 13. Peter says, this is how you prepare for the marathon of life. Prepare your minds for action. Isn't it interesting that he says your mind and not your body? It says, prepare your mind for action and then exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the word. He says two ways that you prepare for the difficulties 
of standing against the culture or overcoming trials, he says, prepare your mind and exercise self-control. How, how do we prepare our minds? Well, I think very clearly is we begin to exercise biblical truth. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but instead let God transform you into a new person by, listen, changing the way you think. <laughs> so God wants to change the way we think about culture, life, and the way that he does that is by his standard of truth. And so when we're engaging in a world that doesn't believe in this, this is all we have to stand firm and to believe and to move forward as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he says, transform your mind. But then he also says, exercise self-control. Are we prepared to make the decisions to stand in the midst of adversity? Are we prepared to stand firm against you know, a young person when you're in school and someone's talking about someone else or someone asks you to cheat? I mean, those are like little silly things, but are we prepared to say, no, that's not the right thing to do? Right? Are we prepared to do the right thing in our marriage? Are we prepared to ask for forgiveness? Are we prepared to say, listen, I'm not going to go back into this old way of living. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. That's what we talk to our kids about all the time. It's, it's so hard to be in the world and not of it. But that's exactly what God wants for us. The Bible says that when we do, we will be rewarded. Again, I, I don't think this is super easy. I think this is something we battle with every single day. At least I know I do. And I'm sure it's probably the same for many of us in this room. And, and that really, something that goes along with this as we prepare ourselves, the other thing, the, the next trial, is that we have to understand that there is this pull. Like when we decide to go one way, that, that there's going to be this pull, this lure backwards to our old way of living. Just trying to give us all kinds of practical examples today. Uh, it's, what, February 6th today. Uh, how many of you did a New Year's resolution? You don't have to raise your hands. But I think many of us have done a New Year's resolution. But I will ask you to raise your hand if you've failed. Go ahead. <laughs> Good. So we're honest. There's two of us being honest in this room. So think about this. When it comes to New Year's resolutions, right, we have this idea that we're going to be better, that we're going to do better, that we're going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to eat this way, I'm going to act this way. And then what happens is when the face of adversity hits, what do we do? We fail. <laughs> and not only do we fail and we say, shoot, we didn't get our New Year's resolution, but what happens is, is we're actually pulled back into our old way of living because that was the easy way. And that was the way that I was living before I decided to make this New Year's resolution, isn't it? Right? And so what we do is we experience this pull back, and it's the same when it comes to our trials. When adversity hits, the very first thing that we're going to do is say, that's too hard. I'm going to go back where it wasn't as hard. And you see, that's exactly where Satan, the enemy, wants us. When we're winning and where God's using something in our life to draw him nearer to him, Satan's going to say, it's not worth it. It's too hard. You're not worthy enough. So you go back to your old way of living. And here's what Peter says about this. And it's the same when we're waging war against our culture. In verse 14, you must live as God's obedient children. Please don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. You see, before, Peter was saying you didn't know any better. But now that you've experienced new life in Jesus Christ, don't go back that way. Because when you were in that way, there was no hope. There was no peace. There was no freedom. You were being drawn back by the world. But now that you've experienced new life, there's a new creation in Jesus. He's saying, that is where God wants you. Don't get pulled back. Don't be lured back into the ways 
of the world. And isn't it true that when the going gets tough, if we can't beat them, join them? Right? Isn't it true that if this is difficult for me, that I'm just going to stand in this camp because it's a lot easier to stand in that camp. I don't want to have to buck the system. I don't want to have to deal with what that means. You know, I don't want to have to embrace my marriage because it's not worth the pain and the suffering. Like the difficulties that I'm experiencing, it's just not worth it. Like it's easier just to be in conflict. Now, it's not worth loving and leading my kids through a situation that they're going through because it's just too much. My son, he's too far gone. Right? It's just this thing of like, okay, it's just not worth it. But what but, but Peter is saying, it's worth it. Don't go back into the old way of living. Addiction, whatever it might be, a relationship, you name it. That is not what God wants for us. Instead, what God wants for us is this, in verse 15 and 16, but now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, this is so important for you to understand. The Bible says that we have become made a new creation. And when we say yes to Jesus, the Bible says then the presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit then resides in us. There's something very, very powerful about that, that God, the creator of heaven and of earth, when we sin and went our own way, says, I'm going to do whatever I can to be in relationship with you. He gives his son to die for us, a sin that we deserved. And then we become the temple of his very presence. Whew. The Bible says that now I live in you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you from the inside out. And everything that you want to do is now aligned with me by the power of the Spirit. And so that impacts your relationships. That impacts your addictions. That impacts your marriage and your kids. Like that impacts everything. And he says, when you allow that to happen, man, you're going to experience the things that you were longing for, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control. And then he says, he says this. He says, I love you. And I know what's going on, and I promise you the reward is coming. Let's end with this today, because you might be sitting here thinking, I, I chose the absolute worst day to come to church, right? We're talking about how life is going to be difficult and terrible because we're Christ followers. But I would tell you, and the reason why we're going to end with this is because this brings great hope. And we all need to hear this, because maybe what you're going through is overcoming right now. But here's the last point, is that trials, they're temporary, Trials are temporary. How many times have you been in a situation and you're like, man, this doesn't ever feel like it's ever going to get over? And then when you get out of it, you say, wow, I got out of it. And maybe you're in a situation right now where you, you've been doing it for years and years and years and you don't think you're ever going to get out of it. Well, I would tell you one day, you will get out of it. And it's called in heaven. <laughs> Standing with the creator of heaven and of earth. Living in a place where there is no more addiction, no more sin, no more shame, no more broken relationships where death, sorrow, sadness. Instead, we'll be in the presence of the one who created everything perfect. And because he made us righteous, co-heirs with Christ, says that we will enter into the presence of God. No longer temporary residence in a broken earth, but instead we will experience life, new life, forever and ever and ever. You see, that's the hope that we have. 1 Peter 17, 117, and remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in a reverent fear of him during your time here as, listen, friends, temporary residence. How many of you ever uh, been to a, an Airbnb or a VRBO or you went into a hotel room, right? You didn't, 
like put pictures up on the wall of your family. And if you did, that would be really weird. But you, you more than likely didn't do that. You know, you didn't stuff the fridge full of groceries for the next, you know, week. You didn't do that. Why? Because you were only staying there for a little while. It was temporary. It's the same thing that we need to understand. We are temporary residents here on earth. Every single one of us are temporary residents here on earth. That's the truth. Because one day, Christ is going to come back, and whether we believe in him or not will determine where we will spend eternity. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says. And so if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we believe in his life, death, and resurrection, and that he rose in new life, the Bible says if we believe that and confess that, we will be saved, and we will spend eternity in the presence of God forever, worshiping him. And that's going to be the most amazing party we've ever experienced. But the Bible also says that if we don't do that, then we're going to spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell. And just the fact that we will never be able to be in the presence of God ever again is enough. <laughs> Let's just say that. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, remember, trials are temporary. What you're going through, if you stand firm, God will reward you. And he's going to reward you greatly. Stand firm in the truth. And he ends the chapter like this. And I just love this because he says, listen, nothing is as valuable as your relationship with God. No money, no relationship, nothing. Nothing compares to what is awaiting for us in heaven. Not even the trial that we're going through, as difficult as it is, friends. And he says this in verse 23, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. <laughs> this is talking about eternal ramifications. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the only one who can be eternal, the living word of God. And that's Jesus. There will always be a tension if you are a Christ follower and your identity in who you are in Christ and who you are in the world. There will always be trials. Life is hard. Relationships are hard. Relationships will come and go. They'll fade. But here's one thing that will not is, is the very presence of God. And heaven awaits you. Heaven awaits you and me. Our God awaits perfection awaits. And so I want to end with this question. I asked it earlier and we'll end here. Will we stand? Will we stand with God or will we side with culture? Christian in this room, will you make a decision to give God everything that you have instead of going against the culture? And if you will, you'll be rewarded. For those of you who don't know Jesus, this is the time for you. This is the time for God to change your life forever, not only here on earth, but for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when I read it, it draws me near to you and it shows me how much I need you. And God, that there's nothing in this world that can fill what only you can give. And God, I thank you that you aren't a God who is distant, a God uh, who, despite our sin, you know, you made a way so that we could be in a personal relationship with you. And you did that through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we realize that and confirm that, Lord, would you change us and would it change everything about us? And God, would it give us the courage to overcome the ways of the world, but also, God, to overcome the trials of this life. Thank you for every individual here and speak to them the way that you need to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.